Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, at least do something productive at the same time. The hoovering, the washing up, anything. God. Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of Slaughter. We're going to kick it straight off. Kick it. Kick it. Yeah, she can. Um, I'm going to kick it off with, um, I've got a really interesting one actually this time. Oh, for a change. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so downbeat. I've done a few sad ones. Oh, this actually, this yeah, you really keep sad. trying to make me think about stuff. This is actually really, really sad. Oh, are you I joking? Thinking, I was like, oh, oh, there's no children. Di- yeah, there's children dying. I'm sorry. <gasps> it's just intriguing because okay. the ending's good. I've built it up too much now. <laughs> I can only fail in this expedition. Okay, so... Uh, it's the story of Ken Regan and William Hornsey. Ooh. I'm going to start with Ken Regan. So, this is why I love doing UK true crime. Why? Just feeling like how kitsch it is. Kenneth. Hornsey. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it. So, uh, Ken Regan was a British heroin smuggler. Nice. As in the drug. Um, not like... Women saving the world. I'm smuggling all the heroines in to save. Quick, Joan of Arc, get in the duffel bag. <laughs> um, and he operated in the 1990s. So I always think, oh yeah, when I was a teenager. No, no, I was a child. I keep 90s. thinking the 90s are 10 years ago because my calculations only ever go up to the year 2000, yes. and that's shit 30 years ago by now. Yes, I still yeah. Forever I will be like a year off the night is. the only thing to get the millennium bug was me like my brain <laughs> just stopped so um he met uh belinda bruin in 1997 now she was a friend of paula yates um and daughter of lord walston so quite should i know who paula yates is paula yates was the one who married the guy from the beatles she married someone she married congrats she married a guy but she... Because we should reward people, people for that. Because until they get married, they're a failure of a woman. As I will always be known. <laughs> so. Um, but Rain it in. So what I like about Belinda Bruin, which is so Belinda Blumenthal. I knew you would say that. Like, And I just feel like everything that happens to her could be a Belinda Blumenthal. I feel Blumenthal like we thing. should be the sister podcast to Dad Wrote a Porno <laughs> just because we mention them every week. Yeah. And we own half of your royalties by now, I'm sure. Um, so uh, he met her at a bar in Harvey Nichols in Knightsbridge in oh, London. Delightful. Come on. Made in Chelsea. Um, and he bought her a lot of gifts. He bought her a Cartier watch and he offered to fly her to Monte Carlo. So he's basically, he schmoozed her. So, I mean, it didn't really pay off. She wasn't interested in like hanging out with him, but he offered her to be part of his company um, and... He even offered her a job. Yeah, right. But at that time, she said no. If she won't sleep with me casually, maybe she'll sleep with me at work. (laughs) That's so weird. He probably had a vole as well. And um, so in 1998, he was arrested for possession of 30 kilograms of heroin. And he went to jail. And he um, turned Queen's evidence. Have you heard that phrase before? Just when they become a snitch, basically. Yeah. He was a snitch, a big old snitch. So he... I can't stop my kids from saying snitches get stitches. Oh, God. I really don't know where else to turn. <laughs> I'm just 
They, yes, they do. I hate I a think at one point, I was like, the only person who's going to get stitches is going to be you. <laughs> and then retracted it quickly. I do hate a snitch in class. I hate a telltale if they're just telling, like sometimes I'm choosing to ignore things because I want to ignore it, not because yeah. I'm waiting for you to pipe up. But yeah, I don't mind if, like, if they're telling me that someone did a real bad thing. Like, I can't deal with all these money tissues. Like, it's doggy dog out here. He <laughs> took my pencil. That's life, kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, I don't have that problem because I'm just like, they're all my pencils. Oh, really? They're full red queen. They yeah. don't have to bring their own stationery. No. Because then they steal each other's shit. Oh, shit. So they don't have anything. I provide pencils, pens, rubbers. Then no. all things are my things. I've um, enlisted stationary supervisors and book monitors. I know it's secondary, but year seven, year eight, we're doing it because I keep lending out pens and not getting them back. So they are counting them out and they are in control. And I love it because they get, you get these like little power mad kids who are like, so-and-so has borrowed one pen. You know they did that in like the concentration camps, <laughs> didn't you? Like that's literally a Nazi like strategy to oh get to get like divide and rule. To turn on them, turn on each yeah. other. There we go. Divide and rule. It's it's happening. It's happening in a microcosm in my classroom and I love it. Look, I'm not handing but then a supply group, like a supply teacher will come in and teach in my room and I'm sorry, like half the box of pens are gone. So he was a snitch. Yes. So he um he gave information on someone and he got eight years for possession of this big amount of heroin. He also got given a concurrent sentence. What's the point then? Because So he just ran to another sentence straight after? No, it's at the same time. You're so fucking joking. What's the point? For being part of a huge group of manufacturing fake passports. They said, well, we're also giving I'm you a- serving 25 years, just all at once. So it happens in one. Like, <laughs> well, he had two eight-year sentences, but they Did were concurrent. So give me as many as you want if they're concurrent, not bothered. And he also got that reduced because he snitched on, an, on his friend Bill Hornsey, who is Gave him of, stitches. Well, it's part of this crime. So they obviously made up later. Um, so- he served four years of his two concurrent sentences, um, re- released in 2002, and he went straight back to come up with ways of making money illegally, because he's like, what's the point? That's all he's got. Actually getting a job. Um, so he got- Four sh- years. I mean, that's just like enough time to let his arsehole recover from smuggling that drugs. <laughs> I don't think he was smuggling. That's what these guys do. They get the, the gap yards to do it, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so- have you ever not, never watched Banged Up Abroad? It's like my favourite. Actually, no. Really? It's amazing. But in Bridget Jones 2, she did smuggle drugs. Accidentally. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. Um, when he gets out of prison, he gets straight back in touch with Belinda Bruin. He meets her at a bar in Chelsea. And he tells her he has a freight business near Heathrow. And that he will pay her £6,000 a month for two days work a week. She would ordinarily say no because she was a wealthy woman, but she said that she she was struggling for money at this time. So she said yes to the job. Did she know where he'd been for the last four years, do you think? Uh, Probably. I mean, no one who's paying you £6,000 a month for two days work a week is legit. So you know when you're on the the ring road and you see those little signs attached to lampposts saying, earn 2000 a week (laughs) from home. Are they drugs? Get any tits out. Probably. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should... Ring- oh, that could be our next podcast. We start ringing all the numbers of make money from home and like seeing what happens. Yeah, there's probably some upfront fee that we've got to pay. The company that he had said that he was running was actually owned by Amarjit Chohan. And it was actually pretty successful as a freight company. Um, and he had quite a few different fingers in pies. So he was a self-made entrepreneur, businessman, millionaire. So Regan contacted Amajit and told him he would buy the company for three million pounds. And Amajit um, said he would meet with him. So he went to meet with him um, and never came back from that meeting. This Belinda must be an absolute worldie. Why on earth is he going through all this effort just to get her involved? Well, surely you can find it. Oh, She's I, already involved now. This is. I know, but he's having to buy the company that he told her he owned. <laughs> this is madness. Well, I think he. Wa- I don't think it's all about her. I think he just wants this company now. But I think she's going to be the face of it to make it look right. more legitimate than. 
Only just two days a week, though. Two weeks. You don't become a CEO <laughs> yeah. on that sort of part-time enough, schedule. Enough to stick her on the posters. So, when um, family and colleagues reported Amarjit missing, police weren't really that seriously worried. They weren't that concerned because he was a little bit of a dodgy dealer himself. So he'd been previously in trouble for tax evasion and using financial tricks. So hiding money, that kind of stuff, offshore accounts and all those kinds of things. He'd actually been in prison before for that. Um, He'd also married his second wife without divorcing his first wife. So he was illegally married. Um, I'm not sure if she knew about that or not. Um, And he was in the process of trying to hide all this for coming out. So the police discovered all of this and basically when right well he's done a runner then so um the meeting that he had had with regan had been due to take place in a really small lane near stonehenge which is weird anyway because that's i mean no legitimate meeting there's no coffee there (laughs) like he's meeting in a car near stonehenge but um he didn't tell anyone where he was going just meet me at the top of this cliff for a business meeting (laughs) yeah um so I he, promise I'm not going to sacrifice you. <laughs> In no way will I be sacrificing you. I've never been Ignore to, the dagger behind my back. Have you been to Stonehenge? No. <laughs> I've driven past it. Oh. I didn't stop. Well it's, like, well, it's like Angel of the North. Yeah, I've seen it from the road. He had actually been grabbed by Regan and Hornsey and another guy called Peter Reese. Who I feel like there's Peter. Al- Isn't there always a Peter Reese oh, in these jump stories? on the bandwagon at the last minute? It's the same Peter Reese who's just like, oh, a crime. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Need a like, hand. Isn't there always a guy called Peter Reese who just turns up at the last minute? It's like, yeah, I'll do some crapping. I swear. He's always on the sidelines, never fully involved. Always on the periphery. Um, and they took him to Regan's father's house and forced him there to make phone calls to his wife and to people that he knew, saying, "I'm fine." I'm hiding out or whatever. So two of the men, uh, of the three that had grabbed him, travelled to Amarjit's house and they forced his wife, their two children, aged 18 months and eight weeks, and her mother, who was staying on a visit from India, and they had hired a van and they forced them into this hired van. They then drove off with them in the van and because they'd taken the whole family, there was no one left to say that they were missing. They just literally picked them up, take them off, and that was it. So no one reported the family missing. I'm assuming she didn't work because he's a millionaire anyway. She's got two, two tiny children. Kids. They're not in school. Um, You're saying as <laughs> if, like, how dare they? This 18-month-old child. They're not in school. Bloody hell. Their phonics knowledge is piss poor. <laughs> uh, they can't even read the ransom note. <laughs> so the men... And, and, so they drove them back to this house and they killed the family. Oh. So that's... I'm not going to go into any details because one, there's not a lot to go on and two, I, we don't need to know. So, I was thinking, like, you don't kidnap babies because they're going to cry. Yeah. Like, that's a pain in anyone's ass. Yeah. <laughs> the men then forced Amarjit, who's still alive, to sign headed paper with his company name on. So basically he'd have the heading at the top, his signature at the bottom, so they could print on that whatever they wanted. No one was still aware of him being gone um, and the, until Nancy Chohan, his, so his wife, or fake wife, um, her brother tried to contact her. He lived in New Zealand. And he tried to phone the family. No response. Tried numerous times. In the end, he flew over to find out what was going on. There's no way in hell my brother would have done that. He would like when he lived in Reading. He wouldn't have even come up. Like he just think like, not he would. <laughs> if your mum said that you were missing, he'd come back. Oh yeah. Um, I've got his corner. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I know you two bonded at the wedding. You're big mates now. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then he found that they were gone, and he told the police. So they know that the family's gone now. So the police and um, Amarjit's staff began to just assume that he'd taken the whole family and moved back to India because of all these problems that he'd been having. And it just looked like he'd just disappeared. Uh, the company was bought by a Kenneth Regan who hired an accounts manager called Belinda Bruin. 
and they started running the company. I started to think that she was the victim and now I'm not a fan. <laughs> so Regan, when he was questioned about this, he told the police, well, he showed them the paperwork, which he had, which had been signed. Obviously under duress, we know now, but obviously the police didn't know that at the time. Um, and he said that he was still in contact with Amarjit and that he was going to meet meet him. Um, he said that he was going to meet him in South Wales for something. The police monitored that. Obviously, he didn't turn up. But he had this whole story of how he's still alive. He's still talking to him. Um, and things just got really confusing from there. But I, they just assumed that he'd got into financial difficulties, sold the company and disappeared. So Nancy's brother kept pushing the detectives to ask to see the proof of ownership which he provided but scotland yard didn't just close the case then they continued to review the case behind the scenes um they went to india to try and find out where the family was there was no sign um in the whole of india no sign of them not one so by now Amarjit had been killed as well and all the bodies had been taken to a ditch in Devon and covered with a layer of gravel. Now, the ditch was actually at Belinda Bruin's farm. She returned home from London one evening. Now, Devon's a long way. She must have been staying there all week and going back a weekend. She got back. She just finds Regan, Hornsey and Rees digging up her field. She's like, what is going on? Mm, I think she was in on it. <laughs> Slander. Can we get done for that? shrugs um so regan had also taken amarjit's car and disposed of that as well uh once regan found the police was still taking a lot of interest in the case he went back to belinda's house dug up the bodies again and he took them out to sea and dumped them so he starts panicking when he realizes that people are still looking um so 22nd of April, this is two and a half months after the disappearance, the body of Amarjit is found floating off Bournemouth Pier Ooh. and is taken to a mortuary. I mean, imagine that. You're off on the pier having some candy floss. Moldy oh. old body pops up. Um, so it was decomposed. They could still make out the fingerprints. So they hadn't done the clever thing where you chop off the fingers. And as he was a former convict, they were in the database. So straight away, they've oh, got yeah. a record for him, which is interesting. Um, his body had a severe head wound. So at first, they thought maybe he'd fallen in and drowned. But they could see severe head wound, what looked like a gag on his face, parcel tape, parcel tape around his head. So clearly, obviously, it's been a murder straight away. And all his family's missing. Yeah. So murder investigation from the off. And they could also tell from the body that had been buried on land before being put in the sea. That's so clever. So clever. Because I think they said that there wasn't any sign of it being infested with insects. Oh, like the know. parasites weren't there or something? There, were, there was something that they could tell to do with bugs. As to, and so Like it couldn't have been, as decomposed as it was, it couldn't have been in water for that long yeah. sort of thing. Something protected it from something because it had been something. So the investigators... (laughs) Watch the documentary. I don't fucking know. So (laughs) the investigators... This story is good. Yeah. So the investigators went back um, to Amarjit's old company uh, that is being run by... Fucking Belinda. She's just sat there at the desk like, what? Well, they did. They went back and they interviewed Belinda. Regan and Hornsey find out this body's been discovered, they pack off, disappear, go abroad. Peter Reese is just on his next case, not even bothered. <laughs> she is like, I don't even know him. I, I've never met him. I've got no idea. They murdered um, him before I ever got to say hello. She did eventually tell them um, about the digging that had been happening at her house though. And they went and they excavated the fields and they found DNA belonging to the members of the Chowan uh, family and other items that have been used to tie them up and she said that she had no idea the bodies were buried there. i'm not buying it i'm really really not she, i mean she was never charged so how do you think you became the head of this company she... for two days a week from no. a man you know has asked you to smuggle drugs are you shitting me um the police examined regan's phone records and they identified peter reese as an accomplice because of the phone calls that he'd had weird times they also found some CT 
CCTV and records showing Regan had hired a white van. They found the van. Um, obviously, they needed to get some evidence of this murder. They're the main suspects, but they had nothing, really. Um, so the van they found had been pressure hosed on the inside. So they'd washed it. Now, you'd think that would destroy all the evidence, but actually, it really made it easier for the police. So they said that if you pressure hose, it pushes all the dirt and all the DNA and everything into the crevices and cracks. So they would just, just scoop it up. Yeah, they well, they would just take it apart, get all the dirt that's sort of stuck underneath, analyse that. So they found um, DNA from the Chowan family. And so it's linked to the van. So there we go. Definite evidence there. Top tips from Lucy. They also invest. Yeah, don't pressure wash. They also investigated Regan's father's house, but it had been completely cleaned apart from blood spot from one of Chowan's children, which was on the outside bit of brick. So they obviously sort of knew what they were doing there. They'd completely cleaned it. It was spotless, but they'd missed this one spot of blood. They also found a huge piece of evidence. And this is why I picked this one because it is, quite clever so when Amarjit had been tied up alone in the house god knows what had happened to him being tortured but at some point they'd left him on his own and he'd found a note on the floor with regan's address on it so he'd written a short message on it identifying him as his kidnapper folded it up really small Jane, when you fold it and it's almost like a, a cube of paper and tucked it in his sock <gasps> Amazing. so even after he'd been buried and put at sea the forensic team when they removed his sock and i think it's quite good forensic really to bother to look inside someone's socks Mm. for for evidence and they found this tiny little crushed up note inside the sock they had to open it let it dry but then they could just about make out this note and it clearly stated regan was to blame for the murder that's fucking amazing so reese was arrested in a pub in colford Oh, <laughs> he'd gone to like hide out with the mates. He was first. Regan was arrested at a campsite in Belgium. He's trying to hide out. Hornsey just gave himself up. Came back to the. UK. All my mates are gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, he knows that they're snitches too. Like yeah. they would have, yeah. <laughs> he would have done it anyway. So he just went to Dover and said, "Yeah, I've done it." <laughs> just turned up. So the three men denied murder and false imprisonment. But obviously the evidence is so clear against them. So Regan and Hornsey were convicted of murder. Reese got uh, 23 years for the murder of, murder of Amajit. Um, and uh, the other two were convicted of the murders of the whole family and they will never be released. Nancy's body was also found at sea, was picked up by a trawler and alert. Um and the mother-in-law's body was washed up on the shore later on, but the children's bodies they didn't find, so they were just oh lost at sea. But yeah, horrific story, but quite an interesting one, just because of the the way that he made sure that they'd find his killers. Yeah, like that sort of human spirit. Like even when things are so bad, you're gonna find a way to stick it to them. Yeah, liked it. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, it's my turn. <laughs> um, I went on a bit of a mad book buying spree the other morning. I find I do most of my online shopping when I'm in bed on like a yeah. Saturday morning. I just get the urge sometimes and I just can't stop myself. Yeah, Like I did half of my Christmas shopping this morning, like it's 7am just in bed. <laughs> like, da, 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 da. Um, so, this book I got, I really like. Um, it's a official Crime Watch UK book and we've mentioned it before it was it's a show on tv where they talk about crimes and ask for information they do reconstructions you call in um but it's an old one from like the 80s by nick ross and sue cook and um it's the best source of information on this case that i found so thanks to them for bringing the story to you so it begins with roy page who was 61 years old and he was a well-known and well-liked member of his community in Bedminster. Definitely a murderer then. Outside of Bristol. He's the victim. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roy. Yeah, he was, he was sweet looking. And just typical granddad face. Oh. Glasses, grey hair. And for the last 10 years of his life, he'd run a corner shop. His wife had died in 1982, and so by 1985, his life was just focused on his shop, where he worked, he lived in the back, and his routine was pretty regular and unchanging. He'd open the shop at 7.30 in the morning. At lunch, his 86-year-old mum would come round to cook lunch for him. Then, later in the afternoon... Oh, she's doing all right for 86. No. Well, Still gets her out the son. house. Well, his wife's died. You've got to look after him, make sure he's eating properly. And then later in the afternoon, his sister Shirley, she would come by and do the cleaning up for him. God, and he didn't have to do shit. I think basically he was just behind that counter all day long. Oh. And then he would close up at like half past eight in the evening. So like 13 hours, oh, he would just day. be working in his shop. And people would pop by and chat with him. And like he was quite friendly and everyone knew he'd always be there. So... It was a bit of a focal point. His friends, would that's where they'd see him. They'd just yeah. pop in, buy some cigarettes, have a chin wag. And then the school children would always come by after school on their way home and get sweets. So he was like... A- it is like one of those DOS jobs where you get paid to sit chatting. Like the people who work in reprographics in my school. They get paid... Oh my God. They do a lot of chatting. Like it's fine. We have some volunteers to come and do it and... They're the worst. Although I did make them photocopy an entire book (laughs) on Friday. I was like, shut up, photocopy this entire book. What can I say? (laughs) There is a rule about how much you can photocopy a book. Okay, well, it was a couple of chapters of the book, maybe not the whole thing, but it was a lot. It was like 100 pages long. Up to 10%. Is it? Oh, it's more than 10%. Sure. Look, I'm not paying 20 quid a pop for 30 children. (laughs) Fuck off. I'm educating kids with your book. Like, you should be happy. <laughs> I feel like it was your book. It wasn't... It wasn't... If I was the writer of that book, I'd be pissed. It wasn't the Crime Watch book, so it doesn't matter. Um, so, Roy was kind of known to be a bit hapless with security. And he would often leave the till open while he potted. Or he would have, like, tubs around the house with bits of money in it. Just they popped in various places. And his sister would always have to tell him to be more careful and put stuff away and look after himself, as she had to do on Thursday the 18th of July, 1985, when she came over and found the safe door had just been left wide open and there was money left out, they'd been counting. So she had to put it back and tell him to sort it out and then went home at 4.15 p.m. 
So an hour and a half later that day, um, a friend and neighbor, Tom Coles, came to the shop for a chat as normal and he found the door to the shop was locked. Oh, it always makes me on edge when you start with the victim because I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. So he assumed that Roy had just locked the door to go and have a quick wee. Because, like, that's all he can do. I guess he has to. Yeah, right. Back in five. I love that on a shop. Back in five. Then you know, like, it's a proper little family-run operation. So he just nipped back again ten minutes later, but the door was still locked. And some of the local school kids on the evening sweet run um, started hanging around outside waiting for it to open. Now, Tom... Give us sugar. Yeah, pretty much. Sugar! My mum doesn't know. <laughs> I dread to think what the kids I teach you. I used to leave school grounds at lunchtime, which you were not supposed to do when I was in like year seven and eight, go to the corner shop and I would just spend my dinner money on those, um, I don't even know what they're called. They were like 1p each, like little plastic tubes of sherbet. You're getting oh, like yeah. fluorescent pink and green and yellow. Oh, no. Picks, they're not, what, yeah. I don't know what they're called, little sherbet sticks. Just buy hundreds of those. That's grim. Um, yeah, shut up. So Tom, he knew that Roy was a diabetic, which I like to think was type two because he was getting high on his own supply <laughs> down in those <laughs> sherbet sticks, sticks all day long. Um, but he was concerned. He thought he could have collapsed somewhere. Yeah. So he went around the back, so that where um, his living quarters were, and he saw that there was a light on. So he's like, okay, he's just ignoring me. So he went home and phoned up. But there was no response. So now he's more worried. And he got another neighbor and they went back and started banging on the door, shouting through the letterbox, trying to get his attention. And a crowd was starting to gather now because this was so out of the ordinary for Roy. Um, Roy's son and his friend arrived and they decided to climb over the back wall so that they could try and get to his house. They saw that this time lights were off and the curtains were now drawn which, I mean, it's July and sort of like tea time, so it still would have been bright daylight, um, Mm. really bizarre. And they only were worried further. So luckily, sort of, a police car was driving past at the time. So they just flagged it down, and then with the policemen, started breaking down Roy's door. And as they forced their way into the house, they were greeted by this overpowering smell of gas. Oh, God. Every gas appliance in the whole house had been turned on. And it was only thanks to the pilot light being broken on the oven that the house hadn't even blown up. Shit. It was really bad. Roy's body was found lying in the hallway. It was half in, half out of a cupboard on the floor. So he'd been gassed, like lack of oxygen, gassed to death. Well, that's what they thought. But as soon as they got to the body, it was obvious that he had suffered a beating to the head and he'd had a gag forced into his mouth. So I think he'd maybe been knocked out, sort of tried to get him in his cupboard and then gassed to death, yeah. Do you think they tried to... They were going to like set fire to the house to hide the evidence? I think that's what they'd hoped, that it would actually explode. Right. And maybe then sort of look like an accident, possibly. Yeah. Um, further inspection of the property, it came to light that nearly £2,000 had been stolen, which is about 5500 in today's money. So basically, it was just all his takings for that one. a lot for, like, a murder. Yeah, it doesn't seem worth, worth it to it. kill a human, really. A human? Maybe a dog, but <laughs> a cat. I'll do it for free. Oh, I nearly did kill a cat on the what? way here. We what, just ran out in front of me. And normally, and they do tell you, don't swerve for them because it's more dangerous. But mm. I really didn't want to run over an animal. I was in a rush. I couldn't be dealing with telling people. I had a cat jump out in front of my car once out of a bush. And I sort of heard it like roll around underneath. And then it jumped back in the bush and I stopped my car and was like, oh my God. And this man that had been behind me said, oh, it's jumped back in the bush. It's probably fine. Then I went home. Well, if you say it, anonymous stranger. I was like, I guess so. And then I went home and told my brother and his wife. And she was like, yeah, that happened to my cat. It died. I was like, okay, well, thanks for the supportive words there. But hopefully that cat was all right. It's a 60 mile an hour road. I was only going 30. I'm sure it's fine. It's probably dead now. It was years ago. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, then you can be comforted by the fact that one way or another, the cat is dead. (laughs) 
can tell no tales. So forensic experts then found two major clues had been left by the killer. One was um, an earpiece that was used to listen to cassette recorders or transistor radios. And the other was a fingerprint that was left on a bag which had contained one of Roy's prescriptions. Fingerprints, better. Well, this earpiece would actually prove vital because it was sort of a major theme in his description came up. So police, they began making extensive door-to-door inquiries and they soon built up this really consistent description of the man who'd been in the area that day. So many people had seen him. The suspect was described, he was being... Wearing a massive earpiece. (laughs) Pretty much. He was wearing headphones and carrying a device that appeared to be a transistor radio. you'd notice that guy. Um, He was a really large man, apparently. Uh, Sort of like 15 stone, really tall, dark features, dark hair. He was definitely someone that people knew because it was quite a close community like i said this corner shop everyone knew each other and then this huge guy with headphones starts wandering around with overalls and this is 85 so to just be like chilling in your headphones as a grown man like with your radio you're up to something um so this what age do people stop wearing headphones in the street it's back in my mom would not she wouldn't go out with an ipod and headphones on like 45 my mum would. Would she? She wanted to Maybe buy. She wanted to buy some of those wireless earpods, oh, really? and then I literally was like, "How are you gonna make sure you don't lose them?" She was like, "A wire." I was like, "There you go. Just <laughs> deal with your own fucking earpods." Um, AirPods. That's what they are. Fucking ridiculous. Not, anyway, not um, so this guy, the this huge man, he'd been knocking on doors in the area and was asking people if they had any gas leaks that they needed checking. He was wearing overalls and was sort of pretending to be a gas man. And everyone who'd spoken to him, so quite a few had, they said that he had a really thick Welsh accent. Well, he's definitely not a murderer then. That, honestly, (laughs) your reaction, I'm not even joking, like... Uh, at trial later, people would say like he didn't come across as being able to have done these crimes. So he just the seemed Welsh like a- are lovely. <laughs> um, some people also mentioned that he had glasses that were attached to his head with elastic bands. <laughs> oh, bless. Which I don't know if that's is that the witnesses' really bad description of like science goggles, or I mean, if he just turned up looking like that, maybe it would have been like. You need this money more than I do. Like, mate. how small do your ears have to be <laughs> that you need elastic bands to attach your glasses? <laughs> They're just no good. <laughs> so, I mean, he might have done. He has to have headphones because his ears don't like let enough sound in. Now he's it's using elastic bands. Ears. He's just a really small eared man. No one mentioned that though. Um, But he was so conspicuous that police were able to get enough information about this guy to be able to track his movements for almost the entire day of the murder. Because once they had this description, people were like, yeah, I definitely saw him doing it in this shop and I noticed him doing this. Um, So he'd been witnessed in at least three other sweet shops that day in the area and had visited many houses. So Maureen and Elizabeth Gerrish were one, uh, a pair of sisters that did answer the door to him and they didn't have any suspected gas leaks, so they didn't invite him in to have a look. But they told police that um, while they were speaking to him, his overall zip had fallen open. Oh, God. (laughs) Quote, unquote, fallen open. And they noticed that he was wearing white underpants with blue piping. I just think, how close did you have to be staring at his crotch to be like, oh, the piping on those pants. You should be like, oh, dear, I'll look away (laughs) while you zip up. Not. What are those? Oh, House of Fraser? Nice. <laughs> How did it wriggle open? I don't know. How and overalls as well. Zip? Doesn't the zip start your neck and go yeah. down to your crotch? So it just, I like to imagine it just slowly, tooth by tooth, like, as it gets down to the bottom. I didn't notice your conversation was so engaging. So he did however check for gas leaks in the house of a mrs perkins which his method was to to check for a gas leak. sniff 
That would have been the sensible option. He went in and started lighting matches. Oh my good lord. If it explodes, nope. there's gas. But that's honestly what he did. He would go and lighting matches and there was actually a gas leak in her house. Um, but because it was so clearly a ruse, he didn't have any tools to fix it. So she was like, oh, I have got a gas leak. Shit, what are you going to do? He's like, um, completely panicked. <laughs> so he was... Either he was like unprepared for the, an act of violence on this particular woman or he genuinely thought no one's ever going to have a gas leak or she had nothing worth stealing, whatever the reason. He did just panic. He started sweating profusely and said, can I just have a glass of water? And she said that he downed it and just made a quick exit. <laughs> but she was pissed off. She was like, I'm just suffocating in this house. Yeah, thanks for that. Um but her home was very close to Roy's shop. So it's thought that he went straight from there. He was witness then following Roy into the shop. The They had all this information, but they just couldn't find him. They knew exactly what he looked like, where he'd been, what he'd done, but just didn't know who he was. So he was a stranger to the area. So the case was picked up by Crime Watch and they showed it with a reconstruction. Massive man, tiny ears. Mm. Faulty hair. zip. <laughs> yeah, blue waistband. But twelve million people watched the show, which is absolutely huge. Everyone loved Crime Watch eighties, nineties. I mean, to be fair, they only had like three, four channel. I yeah. don't even know if Channel Four was around then. So yeah. you've got a captive audience. But a lot, although a lot of people called up, they didn't really have a lot of new information. People had seen him, but still, just nothing to say particular. Um, one woman who'd been on holiday when the police were investigating, did phone up and say, I'd been to the shop door when it was first locked and saw this man behind the counter. But when I like motioned to him, he sort of mouthed back, he's asleep. <laughs> to get her to leave. Yeah. There was no more avenues to turn down. So it wasn't until a couple months later, Friday the 6th of September, that this fake gas man was started to be spotted in Portsmouth. Um... And he was basically doing exactly the same routine. He was there in his overalls, headphones, radio, and was going out and about look, saying that he was checking for gas leaks. So he started going to shops again and acting really strangely, like hovering around, not really knowing what he wanted. And one shopkeeper said that he looked like someone who'd escaped from an asylum. He just... They <laughs> said that, much. I know, but they said quite clearly talking to him that he was confused and that he wasn't acting yeah as you would expect now because it had been so many people watch crime watch loads of people recognized him from the show it was about a week after i think it had been aired so quite lucky that it was so close to it being shown on tv yeah he hadn't so he just carried on like none the wiser but about six or seven people phoned the police look if you're gonna do a murder watch the murder channel afterwards like check check if they're looking for you um so every time they would call the police and say oh he's here he's here the police would just miss him and be in another location so eventually a guy called colin weaver saw the man entering a park with his overalls headphones and saw that he'd settled down on the grass with a bottle of pop having a drink so he thought right he's gonna obviously stay here for a while i'm going to call the police so police arrived and found the man looking pretty relaxed. He was laid out on the grass. His shoes were off and just next to him and pretty chilled. So they went over and spoke to him and he just quite happily told them, oh, my name's Clive Richards. Uh, actually, it's Professor Clive Richards and I'm from London. Don't sound like you're from London. Well, he would have said it in a Welsh accent too. Clive <laughs> Are Richards. <laughs> Are you from that London? I can't shit. You do it. You're Welsh. In the valley. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. Um, he told them that he was a professor of nontology and totology. <laughs> nontology. Nothingtology. Yeah. It's like when someone says, what's your name? And you're like, nunya. Nunya business. <laughs> That's basically what he did. And I was like, okay, um... I don't want to look like a twat on the podcast. Best Google nontology and totology. <laughs> they don't Stop exist. It. Yeah, you're straight away like they don't exist. I was like, oh dear, study an area that I'm not aware of. They didn't exist. I had a kid. I told it like the kids are doing this thing where they've got to write to a celebrity and they're like, I think this is a fake um, address, miss. It says random house. I was like, that's actually, that does exist. It's like a pretty Agency. big deal. <laughs> 
he told them they were started having this conversation with the police officer about what he's doing there and he said that he was part of a secret research project uh, with the department of environment and he was being asked to look into homeless people so that explained why he was dressed so weirdly. He said he was trying to blend in <laughs> with his fellow down and out. I'm not really homeless. I'm just pretending to be homeless. Exactly. While I'm on that. a break from my degree. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> and Welsh. so the police, they were sort of like, oh gosh, he's huge. Like he's clearly a little bit weird. Like, is he going to come to the police station? But he was just, he had no awareness that they were looking for him. And so he just went to the station without issue. Like, yeah, I'll answer your questions. Uh, while he was there, they searched his belongings. He had a bag with him. And in it, there was several other bottles of pop, some rubber gloves, a knife in a sheath, an iron bar, and drum roll for the return of the white underpants with blue piping. <laughs> I don't know why he just carried them around. Like, in case I see someone I want to flash. Got <laughs> yeah. my lucky pants Put the on. good ones on. Get the clean ones on. I hope that's the case and not that they had been soiled and he'd had to put them in the bag that would be worse (laughs) so clive richard he said that the weapons were for protection because he's working on the streets with homeless people he needed something to in case things went wrong but police were able to the fact that he had these weapons this meant that they could hold him in custody for a little bit longer while the bristol police arrived when the bristol police showed up and said where they were from that's when he clicked that they were onto him and he the same sweating performance began asking for drinks like absolutely drenched in sweat he completely denied being in bedminster on the 18th of july when roy was murdered and they even drove him back past the shop to see would he have any reaction and he just said never been there didn't seem to recognize it. Didn't get a sweat on none then. No. Well, apparently, I think he was a bit sweaty all the way back. He said he kept <laughs> glugging from water and just being a bit weird. So it came to trial on 28th of April, 1986. And it soon became clear when they investigated further that Clive Richards was a man for whom lines of fantasy and reality were definitely blurred. He was born in 1950 in Port Talbot in Wales and he had an extremely high IQ but he didn't do well at school and left with no qualifications he seemed like a bit of an Ed Kemper sort of vibe I'm getting um his family ran an ice cream truck business and so he got into this they encouraged him to sort of take control of something and be involved in the family business but he got them into tens of thousands of pounds worth of debt. With ice cream? Well, he tried to expand and was like buying new trucks and yeah. bringing in new lines. But no one to drive them. <laughs> but it just wasn't sustainable. So rather than tell his parents that he'd fucked up, he started to tell them tall tales about, oh, I've got some rich friends and I've got these business contacts and they're going to help us repay the money. Like, don't panic. I've got it covered. But by 1985, when the murder took place, um, it wasn't, he didn't have any of these contacts and his belongings were being repossessed. It was really in the shit. So um, that's sort of his motive for murder. But yet something, there's obviously more to it because he didn't seem to recognize, he still denied everything and didn't seem to recognize. He wouldn't admit to a lot of this. So he didn't actually he didn't make any pleas of insanity he pled not guilty and no plea was of insanity was made on his behalf um so richards he would sit in the dock and apparently he'd be like furiously writing notes while the prosecution was talking and then when it was his turn to speak he spoke for five hours oh my they let him apparently so as his i think you have like as his it's his right isn't it to speak in his defense but five hours and he told this incredibly complex story with twists and turns went round and round it was way too difficult for people to follow it was just a bit rambling he was examined by (laughs) he was examined by a doctor from broadmoor and he was examined by dr harvey gordon during the trial and he said on this is a quoted he said quote on balance i think he is suffering from some severe mental illness normally known as chronic schizophrenia which so do you think he genuinely just didn't know that he'd done these murders this one murder 
I honestly don't know. But then the fact that he was carrying the weapons makes it seem likely that he would have done something again. Mm. The fact that he went out to another area where he didn't live, dressed in that way, carrying his weapons, suggests that he was probably going to repeat that pattern. But whether he's in some sort of dissociative state when he's doing that. Because it's not like just someone who's done a murder and then that's it. Like he took money. Yeah, and he was in debt, so there's definitely that reason. Which I think is why they wouldn't enter the plea of insanity because it said, here's the reason why you've stolen money. You went and stole money. Maybe if he'd committed just a senseless murder that might have... They might have said, well, clearly you've got no idea. Yeah, and I'm not saying that makes him any less to blame, but it does seem a little off that there was no sort of intervention on the side of mental health there with the trial. But... May 7th, 1986, he was found guilty of the murder unanimously and sentenced to life imprisonment. Job done. So, if you are enjoying listening to our podcast and you've got bags of extra cash, please subscribe to Patreon. If you haven't got any money... Like, don't run heroin for it. No, right, yeah. (laughs) If you've got no money, that's great, that's fine. Just tell some people about the podcast, leave us a review, whatever you can do. If you've got shitloads of money, buy, like, 20 T-shirts, give them to your mates on Spreadshirt or on Threadless. I mean, it um, is Christmas, and who doesn't want a T-shirt with our faces on for Christmas? Tote bags, yeah, stick it, like, just... just Mug. Oh, yeah, that's a nice one. Keep and cup, as they call them down London. Buy them a, a what? A keep cup. I call it a flask. Do you know like flask cups? Oh, a travel mug? Yeah. Oh, okay. You can, we do those? Yeah. Oh, nice. I think we do one. So get a travel mug. What you should do, get a travel mug and then do that cute thing where you put it like with some hot chocolate inside, put some marshmallows inside, like fill the mug with stuff. Take it, a photo of it on Instagram. A present within a present is always better than <laughs> yeah. yeah, a slap in the face. Definitely. Um, but if like, say you've got no money, just tell some friends about Slaughter. That would be absolutely brilliant. Please keep doing that. That really does make a difference. We've not begged for a while, so I feel like we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, uh, thank you to those of you who are engaging with us on social media. Keep tweeting us. We love it. Like, love we do a love tweet. a tweet. I want a tweet. Like, we just need attention constantly. <laughs> like, <laughs> we do. Like, if we don't get attention, we die. If we don't get attention, we're like, screw the podcast. We're giving up. Like, we just need a nice message every now and then. Just yeah. every few days, like, one of you take the bullet and send us that message. Put yourselves on a rotor if needs be. Yeah. Um, but thank you for listening and remember that listening to Slaughter does not make you a psycho running over a cat and then not stopping to look if it's okay does I did fucking stop ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.